We're in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Let me pray and then we will kick off. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you because you are good and what you do is good. And we pray this morning that you would help us. Uh, we ask that you would speak to us um, and equip us today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I'm, I'm changing the way I prepare my sermons. I felt God's really challenging me. I normally just type it out as a script and God says, you've got too many words, dude. Um, and so I'm now doing mind maps. So we'll see if that uh, works this morning or whether it's a bit disjointed. Um, but I'm just trying to make sure I'm following what the Spirit wants me to do. So we're in Matthew 4 and we're looking at 18 to 25. Let me read that out. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little, further up the, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. You know, this section of scripture is all to do with Jesus calling people into ministry and Jesus acting on ministry. And the thing I want to really highlight for a moment, just have a think, what is the first thing Jesus did after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit and his father said, you're my son, well pleased. What's the first thing he did? Sorry? Okay, wilderness. After that? Nope. He replaced himself. Just think for a moment. The first thing Jesus did was call 12 disciples. Before Jesus ever started on ministry, he chose those who would replace him. And I think that's really significant. We, we kind of have this whole idea that we get a ministry, we make it successful, we grow it, and then we find people to replace us. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Before we do anything, we're going to get guys who are going to replace me, and they're going to be with me in all that I'm doing, and then they will carry on that ministry. Just think about that for a moment. The first thing before we do anything is to find a replacement. Whenever we appoint somebody into any ministry, their first job should be, who's going to replace me? And you notice Jesus replaced himself with 12. So not only did he replace himself, he multiplied himself. Before he did anything, he replaced himself. That was his main thing. And those he called, he said to them, Come, follow me. And they had to leave everything. If you read through the Gospels, you'll find that the disciples say to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Now, my observation of the church in the UK is that is a real sticking point. People don't mind being saved. 
They don't mind Jesus forgiving their sin and repenting of their sin. They do mind leaving everything. They do mind. What if this morning Jesus said, well, hey, Laura, I want you to go to China. What if he said that this morning? What if he said, hey, Nephemi, I want you to study this certain thing, but then I want you to go into this ministry. What if God says to you, I want you to leave everything and go from here to somewhere else? What if, Jeannie, God calls you to move to somewhere else and do something else? These guys, they're quite happily said, yeah, we'll leave all of that. They trusted Jesus enough to say, yeah. You know, ministry, I was taught years ago that when you do ministry, you kind of hold it loosely in your hand. It's like holding a live bird, yeah? If you hold it too tight, the bird's dead. If you hold it too loosely, the bird flies away. You've got to hold it just right. And your whole life, your job, your possessions, the house that you live in, you hold it loosely in case God says, hey, it's time. I, I am always in my walk with God saying, Lord, am I still in the right place? Because I know, categorically, I know this. If I'm in the wrong place, I will see nothing happen. Jesus didn't go to the disciples, hey guys, I'm anointing you now. And they then said, thank you very much. They went back to their fishing and said, wow, we're not going to get loads of money through all the fishing we're going to do. We're just going to command those fish to jump into that. No, no, the power was where Jesus was. And Jesus was going that way. So they had to go, well, hold on a minute. It's not happening here. I need to go to where Jesus is. And Jesus has a plan for your life. And we need to be open enough that we're not entrenched in this world, but that we can go where he wants us to go. Now, the good news is that when Jesus called, it was a small number. Now, you've got to think for a moment. Jesus had crowds following him. At one point, we know, he fed 5,000 men. So plus women and children, you're looking around 12 to 15,000 people, possibly more. 12 out of that, if we take 12,000, it's 0.1%. It's a small number. There, there is a whole theme of the Bible that God calls and those who follow are always a small number. You can do massive crusades with thousands and thousands of people, but those who actually follow are 0.1%. I wonder whether you are 0.1% this morning, saying, yeah, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And, and the challenge with, with what Jesus asks you to do is without him, it's impossible. It's impossible. We can't, I mean, Scripture says, doesn't it? We can't even turn a hair in our head grey or white. Well, I suppose we can if we get some dyes out, but it doesn't last permanently. <coughs> we can't add anything to our height. And so we trust in God knowing that he can do all of these things. You know, if God calls you, if God gives you um, a calling to do specific stuff, he will also anoint you and equip you. He will also provide. But it's the faith that we need to have to say, yes, Lord, 
I'm going. And what I love about Jesus, he said to these guys, come follow me. And that meant there were positives and negatives. Just think for a moment that God called you with 11 other people and four of those are fishermen and you're all in the same digs. It's going to be a nice fragrant place to stay in. Having some fishermen there. I can imagine when the tax collector walk in, I'm not bunking with him. Judas comes in carrying the money bag. I always see Judas as the, probably the guy who was, you know, he had the latest fashion on, he's a cool guy. He had the money, he could talk the hind leg off a donkey. You know, Jesus got this completely varied group of people from different walks of life and he said, you know what, I'm not sending you to the synagogue, I'm not sending you to um, university, Christian university, you live with me for three and a half years and I'll teach you. And you know what? Every day when you walk with Jesus, he'll show you stuff. You'll have a conversation with someone. You walk out of that and you think, well, that wasn't very nice. And you said, yeah, it wasn't very nice because you weren't very nice. Think, but it was their fault. He says, no, no, no. Live at peace as much as you can with everybody. And that's Jesus walking with you, discipling you and taking you through. Jesus chose these 12 guys, they left everything and they were with him for good or bad and there are so many times where Jesus rebuked them. He says, guys, where's your faith? They're walking along behind Jesus. He's chosen us. Woohoo! We're the guys. And then they say, I wonder which one of us is the greatest. You know, Peter's saying, well, I think it's me because my name means rock and I'm really solid. And they say, nah, nah, nah. And then Jesus comes along and says, you see that little child? That's what you've got to become like. He taught them along the way. And as we journey, as we follow Jesus, he teaches us along the way. It's what I would call the relational gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about relationships. Our Christian faith is about a relationship, first of all, with God, a relationship, secondly, with everybody else who is part of the body of Christ, and thirdly, with those who are unsaved that we're connected to. It's all about relationship. I mean, let's face it, if God wanted to save us and it wasn't about that, we would all be in heaven. Why are we here? Because we are connected to people who don't know Jesus. Now here's the thing. Over the years, churches have kind of morphed into what we have today. And for churches, the main event has always been Sunday. And some churches have thousands of people. Some churches like us, we're probably an average church of 70 to 80 people um, that attend on a Sunday. But those numbers are too big. Did you know that? This number is actually too big because you can't get to know everybody here. Imagine if you said, well, I'm really going to get to know everybody in the church. Imagine if you said, I'm going to call everybody each week. 70 phone calls. I mean, you wouldn't be going to work. And so there needs to be more than just the big gathering. And Jesus knew this. And so he created something called small groups. So I'm going to get these 12 guys. They're going to live with me. 12 is doable. But even with the 12, when you look through, there were times when Jesus had smaller groups. He called Peter, James and John 
together and he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration. In fact, that little, what I would call micro group of three or four, Jesus does quite a lot. He does some teaching to the crowds, but he has these little conversations with smaller people because the intimacy is so important. I've been, so for the last two years, um, I've been in an online group with about three or four other pastors, two are in India, two are in America, um, and we've been, we meet every six weeks or so, and we talk about how we're doing, we do a little Bible study together, and then we share what we need prayer for, we pray, and it's been brilliant. It's been really, really good, and it's doable, because it's a small number of people. And I want to encourage you this morning, one of the things that is so vital because Jesus did it here is you need to be part of a group of three or four people. Why not five? Because you can hide in a bigger group. As soon as it gets to five, you can hide. Think about it. Those of you who are a part of life groups or home groups, think about how many are in your group and if you have more than five people, it is easy for you to say, oh, I'm not going to go this week. There'll be plenty of other people. But if you're in a group of four people, well, if you tread out, that's a quarter of the group gone. If another person steps out, well, that's half the group gone. So there is more of a compelling, but also if you're in a group of three or four, you can share. How are you today? How's your week going? I have two of the guys that I pray with. We pray um, every Wednesday evening. We, we meet on WhatsApp and we pray and we share. Um, how, how's it been this week? We have a little chat. What can we pray for you this week? And we pray for one another and I like it. It's a neat little group. I can text them dead easy because it's only um, two other people. And I want to challenge you this morning that even though Jesus was followed by 5,000, that was never his focus. His focus was 12 and 3 or 4. And he kind of rotated between those. He didn't neglect the thousands, but he realized for it to be fruitful, it needed an intimate, accountable relationship. And that's really important because we need that. Believe it or not, you as a believer, you need other believers who can support you, where you can say, you know what, I've had a lousy week, and they say, well, we're going to pray with you. We're going to stand with you. And then throughout the week, they'll send you a text. How are you doing? Because you can do that in a group of three or four. But they'll also challenge you. Say, hey, are you praying? Are you reading your Bible? And you can't think, well, yeah, I need some help here. And you can look at stuff about God together. You can uh, do a study together. You can look through a book of the Bible. The whole point is that's how you grow. And let me tell you, my experience through COVID was that everybody who was in a group like that was strong all through COVID. Those who relied on the big meeting, they went down. And so the challenge for you this morning is think about being part of a micro group. Think about selecting three other people, calling them up and saying, hey, can we meet together? And it's up to you how you do it. You can do it every two weeks, every three weeks. You can do it every week. You can say, well, let's just do it on WhatsApp. We'll meet for 45 minutes or for an hour or whatever. If you need some help, if you want some stuff to study through, I've got plenty of stuff that I can point you towards that will help you to grow in God and encourage one another. Because if we don't have a spiritual focus, it'll just end up being a chatty shop. And we want it to be more than that. 
And so the process that I use is we talk about how it's going, we have some spiritual input, and then we pray for one another. Just three things, that's all we do. And I want to encourage you, do that. There is a book called um, The Essential Guide to Becoming a Disciple, which is eight sessions. And I would encourage you to use that book and try this for eight weeks. And see at the end of it if you think, you know what, this is quite good actually. I'd like to do this more. If you want to know more, come and see me. Um, if you think, yeah, this is really good, then why don't you find three other people and say, okay, we're going to do this. Let me mention just something else. So Jesus calls the people and then from verse 23 to 25, Jesus ministers to people. Now, here's the thing that he did. Jesus' ministry was amongst the people. Think about that. Jesus didn't wait for the people. He went to the people. That was his ministry. We as a church can be waiting long and many years if we're waiting for people to come in here for us to minister to them. There are people in your family group in your work group, there are people who are connected to the things that you do in your daily life where you can begin to encourage and to bring life. Jesus did two things when he ministered to the people. He proclaimed the gospel, not just any gospel, but the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, what does that mean? Well, the kingdom means that there is a sovereign king over the kingdom and sovereign means supreme ruler so when we speak to people about the gospel of the kingdom we're saying to them there is an invitation by God for you to come under his supreme rulership which moves you into his kingdom and his kingdom has different rules it has different regulations it bends the laws of nature because he is the supreme ruler we live in this world but we're not of the world we live in the kingdom. That means we live under the supreme rulership of God. And if he says something's going to happen, it happens. Why do we have miracles? Because they are part of his supreme rulership and his authority. So Jesus proclaimed. He said to the guys, there is a new kingdom with new power. I want to invite you in. That's what we do. We say to people, hey, Yep, maybe your life sucks. Maybe you're having difficulties. That's all because you're in the wrong kingdom. You're living in the world and God invites you to a kingdom where there is healing, where there is forgiveness, where there is hope, where there is peace, where there is power and where there is being setting free from all the stuff that this other world puts upon you. And then Jesus, the second thing that he did was he healed everyone. This one always challenges me. Jesus just healed people, just went around, prayed and saw them healed. And I want to encourage you, you know, if somebody says to you, I'm feeling really unwell, just say, can I pray with you? Some will say no, but most people will say yes. And then just say, I rebuke that sickness in the name of Jesus and say, are you feeling any better? John Wimber who wrote this book, Power Evangelism, who saw so many people healed, he said he prayed for a thousand people before he saw anybody healed. A thousand. 
What's the guy who invented the light bulb? Edison. How many tries did he have? I think it was a thousand, ten thousand, whatever, kept going. Don't give up. Just say, can I pray with you? You rebuke the sickness. Say, I just rebuke that. Be healed in Jesus' name. Say, are you feeling any better? Sometimes they're a bit surprised. Say, but look, just test it out. And you'll be amazed. When we did the evangelism on the streets in April, I, I was so encouraged by the amount of people said, yeah, I'm better now, actually. They went away whistling. Jesus healed all people. And it leads me to this final thing. All things are possible. I want to say to you this morning, all things are possible. But Jesus said, all things are possible for the one who believes. Who believes. Philippians tells us, I can do all things through Christ. And as I said this morning, don't excuse yourself from that promise to you. You can do all things. You can lay hands on the sick, see them healed. You can rebuke the demons and they have to flee. You can speak against powers and principalities and bind them. You can do all things. You are a child of God. You have been given the ambassadorship by Jesus to do these things. Yes, it does require faith. And faith always requires action. You know, um, James says very clearly that faith without action is dead. And what he's simply saying is that if you believe that God will do something, your faith isn't outworked until you do it. I mean, let's face it. If I believe that God will heal people, but I never ever pray for anybody, what is the point? And so he says, take a step of faith. You believe this, have a go. If after 1,000 people, nobody's healed, then come back and see me. Because I believe that before you hit that 1,000, somebody will be healed. And what a testimony and what a boost to your faith. And as your faith grows, you'll pray for more people. You'll see healing more regularly. You know, it, do that with prophecy. Laura, do that with prophecy with people at work. You don't have to say, you don't have to walk up to somebody and say, hey man, I'm now going to prophesy over you. And then you go, shikarababasudu. And then you, you just go up and say, you know what? I just sense God wants you to know this. If it, if, if it fits, just take it. If not, just let it fall to the ground. You'll be amazed at how many people need a word of life spoken into their existence. For somebody to say, you know what? God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose. He wants to fill you with hope. God wants to move in and through us. The real, real challenge for us as the people of God in this place is whether we really believe it. That we are the sons, the children of the living God, that he's given different gifts to different people and that those gifts are going to be released in power as we get a hold of them in faith. Man, can we transform the world around us. And it's not about doing evangelism, although we need to do that. It's about doing it with those that we already know, with our families and with our neighbours, with our work colleagues, and pray. I, I, I'll give you a challenge for this week that if you pray this whole week and say, Lord, give me one opportunity to pray with someone, I guarantee you'll get that opportunity. I absolutely guarantee you'll get it. You ask and you'll receive. Let's pray.
Lord, I want to thank you that you've called us. But you've called us to leave everything behind and to follow you. And Father, I thank you for all the blessings we have of our homes and our jobs and our bank balances and the provision. I just thank you because you are an amazing blessing, God. But Lord, I pray that those things would never hinder us from following you. And Father, I pray that this morning in our hearts would be birthed this amazing knowledge that we are the sons of God, that we have been given an anointing, we have been given an authority, and we can act with complete confidence because you will work through what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, I pray, would you bless your people? Would you heal your people? Would you strengthen your people? Would you set them free from whatever restricts them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ? Amen.